Chapter 2 The Meadow Sprite and Other Tales of Modern Germany This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Carroll The Meadow Sprite and Other Tales of Modern Germany the King of Macaroonland by Richard von Volkmann Translated by Gertrude R. Schottenfels The King of Macaroonland had just risen from bed and was being dressed for the day by the minister of the household. The minister was about to hold out a stocking into which the royal foot was to be thrust when he noticed a hole in the heel. He deftly turned the stocking round hoping it had escaped the royal eye, which usually concerned itself more with its owner's fine boots than with his stockings. But luck was against him, for the king had observed the hole, and snatching the stocking out of the minister's hand, he exclaimed tragically, Of what avail is it that I am king, when I have no queen to look after me? Suppose I take unto myself a wife, what think you? The minister replied that he considered it a fine idea, one which he himself had been on the point of suggesting, had he not felt sure that the king would that very day give utterance to it. Very good, the king rejoined, but do you for one moment imagine it will be an easy task to find a princess who will suit me? To be sure, replied the other, not only one, but ten. But the king at once proceeded to dispossess his mind of the idea that the task would be a light one. He told how high his ideal and requirements were, and declared that even should he chance to meet with a princess who fulfilled them all, there was yet another condition more weighty than all the others to be considered. And pray, what may that be? asked the minister. The king replied, You know how surpassingly fond I am of gingerbread. Well, be she never so beautiful and clever and suitable in every other respect, unless she can bake gingerbread exactly to my liking, neither too hard nor too soft, I shall not marry her. Then he added that in all his broad realm he had never yet met anyone who properly understood the art of baking it. The minister was indeed alarmed, but quickly pulling himself together, he assured his majesty that he had no doubt but that he would speedily find a princess well versed in that particular branch of culinary lore. We will seek her together, said the king. And sure enough, the very next day, they set out on a round of visits to all the nobles of the realm who chanced to have marriageable daughters. They could find but three, however, sufficiently beautiful and clever to appeal to the king's fastidious taste. But the best laid plans, as we all know, oftentimes go astray, and as bad luck would have it, the king found out all too soon that not one of the three knew how to bake gingerbread. 
The first one readily confessed her inability to do so as soon as His Majesty broached the subject. But, she added, I can bake the most delicious almond cakes, which I am sure you will like equally well. The king declared, It must be gingerbread or nothing, and resumed his search. The second princess smacked her lips when she heard the word, and exclaimed angrily, Have done with your nonsense. A princess who can bake gingerbread? There is none. Who ever heard of such foolishness? But the king fared worst of all at the hands of the third princess. She did not even give him a chance to ask the question. On the contrary, she forestalled it by asking if he could play the Jew's harp. He was obliged to say no, and she refused to marry him, although she admitted that she regretted the necessity of doing so, for he suited her in every other respect. But all my life, she said, I have vowed I would wed no man who could not play the instrument of which I am so inordinately fond. So the king and his worthy minister returned home empty-handed, and the king was much dejected, although he declared he presumed naught could have come of it anyway, since he had an inward feeling that she could not bake gingerbread. But a king must have a queen, so after several years had elapsed, his majesty again broached the subject to his minister. But he said sadly, he had given up the idea of finding a princess who could bake his favourite. Would the minister kindly go to the first one and ask her to be his bride? The latter went, but returned in due time with the tidings that his majesty was a trifle too late. The princess had already married another king, the one from the land where the capers grow, and had betaken herself thither a year or so previously. Then go to the second one, begged the king, and see if she will wed me. The minister departed to do his bidding. He returned, however, with the sad news that her father greatly regretted that he could not comply with the majesty's request. He would indeed love to have the king for a son-in-law, but unfortunately his daughter had died in the meantime. This was a great blow, but after meditating upon the matter for some time, the king decided to dispatch his messenger to the third charmer. Perhaps she too had seen fit in the meantime to change her mind about the Jew's harp but he awaited the minister's return with great anxiety this time, for she was his last hope. Unfortunately, in this instance, the fates saw fit to be kind, for she told the king's messenger that although it had been the dream of her youth to have a husband who could play the Jew's harp, she had found that dreams were fleeting, especially those of youth. She realised that she could never have her wish, and since the king pleased her in every other respect, she would consent to wed him. When the king heard these good tidings, he fell upon the minister's neck in gratitude and promised him high rewards for his kind offices. Then he set about preparing for the bride, 
Bright flags and banners were hung all over the city, and garlands of roses were stretched across the streets from one house to another. The wedding was celebrated with so much pomp and magnificence that for fourteen days no one in the city could talk of anything else. For a whole year the king and queen lived very happily, and Jews' harps and gingerbread were apparently forgotten. Then came a day upon which the king arose with his left foot first, in consequence of which everything went wrong. The imperial crown fell down and the little cross at the top was broken off. To make matters worse, it rained the live-long day. The minister brought in the new maps of the kingdom, and the king saw with anger that they had been painted red instead of blue, as he had ordered. And to cap the climax, the queen had a raging headache. Therefore, you will not be surprised, I am sure, to hear that for the first time since their marriage, the royal pair began to quarrel. Why, they themselves could not have told you, except that the king was cross, and with the contrariness usual to womankind, the queen would have the last word. When they had been exchanging compliments for some moments, the queen shrugged her shoulders in the most provoking fashion, and said, I should think you would keep still, and not find fault with everything you see. You're not so perfect yourself. If I remember rightly, you cannot even play the Jew's harp. But hardly had the words left her lips than the king rejoined spitefully, And you do not even know how to bake gingerbread. Now, for the first time, words failed the queen, and she was quite still, leaving the last word to the king. He withdrew into his own apartment, rubbed his hands together in glee, and said to himself, It is a good thing for me my wife does not know how to bake gingerbread. With what else could I have retorted when she reproached me with my inability to play the Jew's harp? But the queen cuddled down in one corner of the sofa in her own room, and wept bitter tears. She scored herself most roundly, for having been so foolish as to quarrel with the king. And most especially did she grieve over having taunted him with his shortcomings as a musician. She told herself woefully that she could have done nothing more stupid had she tried. But the more the king thought the matter over, the better pleased he became, till finally he stood before his wife's picture and began to whistle his favourite melody. Suddenly, he noticed a cobweb on the painting, just over her royal nose. So he mounted a chair, and carefully brushed it off with his handkerchief, saying, She certainly was in a rage, the dear little wife. I believe I'll go and see what she is doing. He opened the door, and started down the long hall leading to her room. Now, as I have already told you, this was the day upon which everything went wrong. Therefore, you need not wonder when you hear that although it was quite dark outside, the groom of the chambers had neglected to light the lamps. The king went down the dark hall toward the queen's room, 
carefully feeling his way with both hands. Suddenly, he encountered someone in his path. Who is it? he asked. It is I, said the Queen's voice. And what are you seeking, my dear? he queried. You, to ask your pardon for so grievously offending you, she responded. That is entirely unnecessary, said the King, tenderly embracing her since I was really more to blame than you. Besides, I do assure you, I have forgotten all about it long ago. But I really think, for both our sakes, there are two words which should be abolished from the royal dictionary, and they are Jew's harp and gingerbread, interrupted the Queen, laughing, even while she secretly wiped away the last remnants of her weeping under cover of the friendly darkness. And with that, our story is ended. End of chapter 2